He had time, still waiting on Lerner's revisions, to get to know his daughter. Nicole kept Bob in life, Anne Reinking said. She forced him to slow down, to be home. Suddenly, he was anchored to someone else's physical and emotional well-being, and rather than resenting the responsibility or buckling under his fear of bungling it, he loved it. Fatherhood was bullshit-repellent. It cut the fat out of Fosse's brain. It organized him. All at once, the suicidal fantasies, the ones that weren't for show, he vowed to put aside, for her. When Nicole came along, dancer Fred Mann III said, it opened the heavens for Bob. She was the stars, the moon, the sun. Nicole was everything to him. She was a dazzler of the most ingenious sort, and Gwen, beaming from across their living room, watched him fall for her. He's a fabulous father to Nicole, she said. These were glorious days, rapturous days. There was this point of great happiness, Fosse said, and I wanted to give Gwen something wonderful. I wanted to give her the best show she ever had. That show would not be Breakfast at Tiffany's. In April of 1964, with several drafts of the musical already outlined, Truman Capote decided Verdon, at 38, was too old to play Holly Golightly, and ordered Fryer and Carr's option money returned. Still itching to collaborate, the producers bounced back with another idea. What about a Fosse musical of Isherwood's Berlin stories, with Gwen as Sally Bowles? It was a compelling suggestion. Sally had qualities Bob and Gwen could work with. She was happy on the outside, sad on the inside, and, like Roxy and Holly, a party girl on the down and out. But Fosse and Verdon didn't see Nazi Germany as the right setting for a musical, and passed. So they kept looking, since on a clear day wasn't going anywhere either. What if, Fosse thought, they did an evening of musicals, two or three one-acts in a single night? With Friar and Carr's blessing, Fosse went down to Times Square to prowl the shelves of the drama bookshop and returned with a copy of Modern One-Act Plays. A Sunny Morning, an old Spanish comedy of 1914, stirred his interest. So did Passionella, a new work by Martin Charnin and Bob Kessler, which Fryer, Carr, Verdon, and Fosse heard at Gus Shermer's apartment before deciding against it. Moving on, Fosse thought back to the spring of 1962, when Vivian Shaw, ex-wife of writer David Shaw, took him to see Fellini's film Knights of Kabiria, which was then playing in repertory at the Bleecker Street Cinema. As predicted, the film enthralled Fosse, and the part of Kabiria was perfect for Gwen. A low-rent hooker, desperate for love, she was in many respects a modern-day and female Harlequin, the 16th-century Commedia dell'arte clown Verdon saw as her personal archetype. Harlequin is a well-rounded, sensitive person, she explained. His love for Columbine, especially when she breaks his heart, makes a man of him. He's transformed by suffering. The twirl of blue paper in his eye represents tears. The flower on his nose is a symbol of unattainable beauty. Like Columbine, he hunts for it everywhere, not realizing that it is right in front of him. He was also her husband. Without delay, Fosse screened Knights of Cabiria for Friar and Carr and Gwen in Friar and Carr's offices at 445 Park Avenue. Everyone seemed to love the movie, but midway through, Fosse knew he had a tough sell on his hands. 
Kabiria had no happy romance, and it ended on a very sad note. A bad combination for a musical comedy. In the elevator going down, Fryer admitted he felt only so-so about Kabiria's Broadway potential, and Gwen, to Fossey's surprise, agreed. But Carr, driving Gwen and Bob back home to their apartment, privately encouraged Fossey to stay with it. Kabiria had a big little heart, he said. That had to be good for something. That night, Fossey could not sleep. There was so much for him in Nights of Kabiria, the sort of crummy feelings musical comedy never touched, Fellini's hooker underground of ugly, beautiful women.